Amen. 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 Brother Coley, awesome. Unbelievable. I tell you, when Zaya was singing that song, I was like, you know, I didn't, I mean, I almost forgot that I'm supposed to come up and speak right now. I mean, I need God in a major way. And I wish I could tell you that I always felt that way. I wish I could tell you that I always was focusing on God. But if I'm honest, I got to admit to you, a lot of times I'm not focusing on God at all. Like the other day, uh, my wife and I, uh, we shopped uh, at Target. And uh, can I say Target? Can I say it? I said it. Doesn't matter. Um, so we Target on West uh, Mineral Point. And uh, it was one of those beautiful days when it was kind of hot outside and uh, just gorgeous. We've been having, this is a killer summer. This has been awesome. So uh, we come outside, and as we're walking to our car, we're kind of following another couple, a kind of an older couple. And as we follow this other couple, uh, I kind of reach in my uh, pocket and pull out our remote and unlock the car. And this guy, uh, who's in front of me, he's, he's not doing, he doesn't, he doesn't have a remote for his car. But he goes right up to his car, and in fact, he didn't even lock his car. The driver's side window was wide open. And he, he reaches in the driver's side window and, and unhooks like a latch to the cloth top of his convertible and then kind of pushes, pushes that back and lets it settle in the back of the car. He's driving a Mazda Miata, an older one, I'd say probably from the mid-90s, red Mazda Miata. Look, something like this right here. Killer, killer car right there. This car, this is 1995 Mazda Miata. They started making these cars in 1989, and the model has really not changed in all those years. It's like you go to Consumer Report, this is like the best roadster. This guy gets in this car. And I'm with my, I got, got groceries in my hands like this, you know? I got groceries in my hands, I'm, and I'm looking, my mouth is like wide open like this. And I look at the guy and I go, love your car. Of course, that guy's heard that before. So he looks at me, and this is what he says. This is the, tr this is the truth. Not, not that other stories I tell are not the truth, but this is the truth. Listen to this. He, say, he says to me, he goes, I could have spent my money on therapy, but I decided to spend my money on this. My wife and I go on a vacation every time we go to the store. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's absolutely true. We were just like laughing and everything like that. And then he turns the car on, and then he pulls off, and then I get in my car, and my top does not come down on my car. And it's hot, and I get in my car, and I look at my wife, and we we look at each other and we're seriously questioning our car buying decisions over the last few years. Because we used to have a convertible. We had like two convertibles. We had a Volkswagen convertible and then another Volkswagen convertible. But now we don't have that. And as we drove away, I started to think to myself, I would be much happier if I had a Mazda Miata. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, maybe it's not the car thing, but like, 
you look at what somebody else has got and what they're doing, and you're going, uh, that's better. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, you uh, went on a picnic to Devil's Lake, and you post your pictures, and you're like, oh, this is cool. And, then the, and your friend posts pictures, and their pictures are from the Rockies. <laughs> and you go, man. <laughs> or maybe they went to Maui, and you go, I could do COVID-19 in Maui. I mean, no problem there. Maybe it's, it's something that you've always wanted for your house. Maybe it's something you always wanted for your kitchen. You ever notice your refrigerator's old? If you just had a new one of those. If you've ever looked at something else and thought to yourself, my life would be better if I just had one of those, then you're not alone. Not only does your friendly neighborhood pastor think that way, but people in the Bible think that way. People that write scripture think that way. In fact, the person who probably witnessed the greatest worship service like of all time, he actually thought that way. And he, and he wrote a poem, a song actually, that we're going to look at today. The song is Psalm 73. Hey, you guys, we're continuing in our series. It's called If I'm Honest, Real Life uh, in the Psalms. And we're going to continue uh, this series by looking at Psalm 73. Grab your device. Grab a Bible. You're going to need it. We're going to look at every verse in this psalm. And uh, as you're doing that, watch this and listen to Psalm 73. Here we go. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. 
yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. 我要以你的训言引领我，以后还要接我到荣耀里去。Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 看哪、啊，远离你的必定灭亡。凡是对你不争的，你都要灭绝。But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Psalm seventy-three. Man, what a great psalm! We're going to look at every verse、uh, in this psalm. So let's start right、uh, at the beginning. There's a lot here. One of the most important things about this、uh, psalm is、uh, who it was written by. Look、uh, at this verse: A psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You got to notice that it's written by Asaph. Have you ever heard of Asaph before? Well, if you watched last week's talk,、uh, if you didn't,、uh, go back and watch last week's talk. Matt did a talk from Psalm 77, and again, it was written by Asaph. So we're kind of in the Asaph part of our Psalm、uh, series. Asaph was a worship leader. In fact. He led one of the greatest worship services like that's ever happened. So you can read about it in Second Chronicles chapter five or First Kings chapter eighteen. It actually takes three chapters in the whole Bible to describe this worship service.、It、took fourteen days to experience this worship service, and the worship service came to a climax when Yahweh Himself comes into the temple and basically kind of blows everybody away. I mean, literally, everybody had to leave the temple when Yahweh came in. Just smoke filled temple is just awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Asaph was the architect, one of the architects of that worship service. So spiritual guy. That's what I'm trying to say. But he says his feet almost slipped. See that again, verse two. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? For I envied the arrogant. When I say saw the prosperity of the wicked, that word prosperity translates the Hebrew word. See if you've ever heard of this before. Shalom. You ever heard of that? Yeah, peace, completeness, wholeness. When I saw the the wholeness, the completeness of the wicked, I mean they like they got everything. They got everything. When I saw that, he says I I started to lose my spiritual equilibrium. That's what he. That's what he says. Actually, take a look at、uh, one of these. You ever seen one of these? Yeah, those are like uh, called uh, roundabouts, actually, and、uh, they're all over in parks,、uh, all over the city of Madison. And there's one by our house. And my grandson Silas, he loves to play on this、uh, with Grandpa. Actually, his favorite thing is that when Grandpa and him get on this, and then he looks at Grandma and says. Faster, Grandma, faster! And so she starts spinning this around, and he's just—we're both sitting down, we're grabbing on, you know, for life. And like he goes, faster, Grandma, faster, faster, Grandma, Becky, faster! And then we go fast and fast, and finally he slows it down. And of course, you know, I'm like, what? And then he gets off, and then he's like three and a half, so he re- he recovers like really quickly. And I'm not three and a half. I get off, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I complete, completely lose my equilibrium. That's what Asaph says. 
when I, when I envied what the arrogant had, I, I lost my spiritual equilibrium. And, you, and when you read this psalm, you go, oh yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's out of bounds. <laughs> Look what he has to say. Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters of abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. Verse 12 is like the summary of that whole uh, section. And as I read through this section, I, I actually imagine myself to be like a therapist sitting, uh, you, know, you know, charging this guy for like confessing everything. And he's, he's just so honest. And I feel like a therapist. I'm just listening to him. And I'm not a therapist, but if I was... I might ask him, you know, if he actually trusted me. Asaph, you know, are they always like that? I mean, I would just kind of push back a little bit. Are they always carefree? And I would try to point out to Asaph, I think, you know, you're kind of in love with hyperbole here, aren't you? You're like, you know, always, never, no. Did you see that? Look back at verse uh, 4. They have no struggles. <laughs> Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. They never get sick. These people can go to Culver's and eat all day long. They can go home and have spaghetti with bread, lots of butter, pure butter on it, not margarine, and they never gain a pound. They have flat stomachs. Their kids have straight teeth. There's nothing wrong with these people. See, that's like hyperbole. Like, you know, really, 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 really. Hey, here's a, here's a clue. When you find yourself using hyperbole, always, never, no. You might be, you might be losing your spiritual equilibrium a little bit. Just saying. Like, this virus is never going to go away. We'll never hug people again. When you start hearing yourself talk in terms of hyperbole, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe you're losing your spiritual equilibrium a little bit. Now, what caused him to lose his spiritual equilibrium was not just they had a lot of stuff and they never got sick or anything, but it, who was it? Who was it? These are the people that they could care less about God. They mock God all the time. Look back. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? Stop, 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 stop. Don't, 
Doesn't God oppose the proud and give grace to the humble? Have we heard that before? But here, it looks like these people are proud. They mock God. They lay claim to heaven. And yet, everything goes their way. They have everything they want. Their kids get into all the right schools. They're never without money. They want something, they get it. All the things in the world go their way. And yet they care less about you, God. This causes him to, he starts, he starts to think, well, maybe this is a waste of time. Maybe this is all a waste of time. This whole thing, the God thing. You see that? Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been, <laughs> hyperbole, all day long I have been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. More hyperbole. And he's letting the reader know that he is he's struggling. He's struggling. He's struggling with what's happening. What's he seeing? Hey, did you catch what I just said? He's letting the reader know. Because he's not saying this out loud to the people he's leading. See that in verse 15? Look at verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Stop, stop. I love verses like this. Because this verse, verse 15, gets us inside the mind of the leader. He's saying, I, I didn't say this out loud. Mind of a leader. He's thinking it. But he says, if I said that while I'm leading, I could really mess up your children. But he was thinking it. He's being honest, like with his therapist, with the reader we can see. What, what happened to him? When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. The Hebrew means troubled me deeply. It means he really, it really messed with his mind. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. He entered the sanctuary of God. Well, what did he experience when he entered the sanctuary of God? The answer is, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Text doesn't say. Doesn't say. I mean, we know from the historical literature that this guy was a great worship leader, that he led and he composed music, and he did great things, and he was in this monstrous, fantastic worship service. But we don't know if that's what he's referring to or not. We don't know that. It doesn't say, actually. All we know is that something happened in the sanctuary of God. He's probably referring to the temple. That caused him to think of an eternal time frame. You see that again? Verse 17. Then I understood their final destiny. 
That is, something happened when he entered the sanctuary of God to get his mind on God and get his mind off of the particular focus of what's happening right now, and now he started to see everything in its whole time frame. It would be like when we focus on something particular, like it's like be like walking on a balance beam. It's like easy to lose our spiritual equilibrium. Just focus on today. But when you see everything from eternity's perspective, you get a solid footing then. And that's what happens to him. He starts to see things from God's perspective. And he changes his perspective about the wicked, about himself, and about God. Look what he has to say about the arrogant. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fancies. Look at verse 20. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great metaphor? You ever, had a, you ever had a dream that seemed so real, so real, and when you woke up, you were going to tell somebody about it, and then all of a sudden it just, it just disappears. You can't remember it anymore. That's what the wicked are going to be like. They're just going to like, oh, they're so, they seem so real now, and then they're just going to, no, they're just going to float off. They're not, they're not going to be in God's presence forever. They're not going to last forever before God. Maybe he was thinking about a, a song that uh, the sons of Korah sang. The sons of Korah, they, they, uh, Asaph and the sons of Korah, they hang out together and write music. Back in the, the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 49. This is what they say. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep. And are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. Their forms will decay in the grave. Far from their princely mansions. Stop, 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 stop. Some, 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 some of us are going, now just a second, Pastor. Because it sounds like they like just are annihilated. They like dissolve and stuff. Is that not right? What, what, what about the judgment? What about the resurrection? What about that? Hey, if you were thinking that, Congratulations. <laughs> You've read the New Testament. That's why you're thinking that way. Actually, if you've read the New Testament, you actually know more about their destinies than Asaph did. Because Asaph never heard Jesus teach. Never heard him teach. Jesus is quite a bit later. Jesus said this, as recorded in the Gospel of John, about the destinies of everyone. Do not be amazed, Jesus says at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. That is, there is a resurrection for everyone, according to Jesus Christ. And that resurrection will happen And people who have done that which is evil, they will be condemned and they will be judged at that moment. And then they will spend eternity apart from God. But if we place our faith in Christ, then that's not going to happen to us. Jesus says that just a few verses earlier in 524. This is the Gospel of John, 524. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged. 
The Greek word for that is condemned, the same word that's uses later, but has crossed over from death to life. This is an assurance of salvation that Jesus gives to people. If you place your faith in Christ, in him alone for your salvation, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you. You will not be condemned. You will rise to live forever with God. What Asaph is saying in Psalm 73 is that people who do not know God They will not spend their eternities with God. They will not be with him. They will not enjoy his presence. He gained that perspective when he entered into the sanctuary of God. His perspective about himself also changed. Look back at Psalm 73, 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant like a brute beast before you. He's describing someone whose spiritual equilibrium is not right. I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was saying. That ever happened to you? You complained out loud and and you go, man, God forgive me. I just sound like a brute beast. I'm just not making sense here. That's what Asaph's doing. When he entered the sanctuary of God, he changed his perspective about the wicked. He changed his perspective about himself. And he changed his perspective about God. Look at the last verses. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Man, that's awesome. I love the passion that he has. Do you notice that passion? Look back in verse uh, 24, 25. 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Look at that passion. I mean, it's like, I, I don't care about Miatas. I don't care about anything. And there's nothing here that I desire more than I desire you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever, man. I, I, things might go bad for me. I might get the worst possible disease. I might just die. But you're my strength of my heart, my portion forever. Let me ask you a question. Who talks like this? You know anybody talks like this? I'll tell you who talks like this. Mature Christ followers who are on their deathbeds. People about ready to die. That know Christ, they talk like this. You know, because of uh, what I do for a living, I've been at a grace and in hospital rooms with a lot of people whose death was pending. When you're with a mature believer, 
They talk like that. Sometimes as I hold uh, their hand, I have to get really close to their face. And sometimes I hear them say, Pastor, I know God. I know Jesus. You can see them just smiling. (laughs) My kids know Jesus. My grandkids know Jesus. And there's just kind of this rapport. It's kind of like, yeah, they, you know, that's, that is really all. There's something about your impending death that causes you to focus on God like nothing else. You know, I've never heard a, a believer in that moment say, Pastor Chris, I wish I had a bigger house. <laughs> never heard that. Never heard that. I've never heard anybody say, Red Mazda Miata, Pastor Chris, I wish I had one of those. Never heard that. Never heard that. What I hear is, I know Jesus, my kids know Jesus, my grandkids. That's what I hear. Because people start to think an eternal perspective. How about you? Do you know Jesus? Have you come to a place in your life where you've transferred your trust to Jesus and him alone for your salvation? If you have, you can have an assurance of your salvation. Look back at John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has eternal life. Not will have it. You have it. You got it. You got it right now. And will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. You have just moved from death to life. When you place your faith in Christ, you exercise, as Coley was saying earlier, you exercise, you exercise a trust in Jesus Christ. You can have an assurance of your salvation. You can know for sure. I'd ask you to do that right now. Just say, God, I know that you sent Jesus I know he has died on a cross for my sin and I don't even, I don't know what this means. I don't know, I don't know much about this at all, but I am placing my faith in Christ right now. When you do that, unbelievable things happen to you. Unbelievable. And you will have life forever. Many of us, Probably most of the people who are watching right now have already done that. But I would say to us that we also need an ASAP moment. We need a a moment where we can get our minds off of those things which are temporal and start to think about how great God is and how powerful he is. And the Holy Spirit starts to focus our minds on who God is. An Asaph moment. Well, how did it happen to him? Well, he entered the sanctuary of God. What happened? We don't know what happened there. How can you enter the sanctuary of God? How can you experience something that is going to help you to focus on God? Well, it's different for different people. I mean, really. For some of us, it might be just sitting at a table uh, in the morning with the word of God open in front of us. And that's when we can have an experience with God. And you know that to be true. For some of it's it's music. It's listening to worship music. Maybe uh, we just 
Maybe we just walk in our neighborhood and we listen to music. For me, it's whenever I go into God's office, I go outside. I mean, just about any time I go outside, I start to praise God. We all need an Asaph moment. We need them all the time so that we can move our focus off of the things that everybody else has so that we can stop thinking in terms of like, they're always this, it's always that, it's never going to. And we get our spiritual equilibrium back by having an encounter with the living God who reminds us that one day we will see Jesus face to face. And when we see him face to face, we are just going to be so thrilled with all of what God is about and all of eternity and the things that we live our lives for, the things that we worry about, the things that we struggle with and have anxiety over, those things will fade like a dream when one awakes. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to focus on you. Our lives are so consumed with so many other things. We get so busy. We get so worried. And when we look and see what other people have, we start to think like we need that and we don't need that. What we need is you. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict us to not, not, not fool around with other things, that we would focus on you, that because we've... Listen to what Asaph has to say. Many of us are like, no, no, I have lost my spiritual equilibrium. We pray, Father, that you would help us to focus on you, to find a time when we can open up your word, when we can take control of our time and open your word, and that your word would speak to us and it would remind us about who you are, what you have done for us, and that we would feel like we are on solid ground no matter what happens around us because our mind is on you. We pray this, Father, in Christ's name for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said, amen.